This is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Eric Roper. Today on the podcast, we're looking into why new cellular towers have been popping up in neighborhoods across the Twin Cities. If you live in Minneapolis in particular, you may have noticed new antennas in many residential areas. The answer to this question reveals a lot about the evolving technology that powers our smartphones and other devices. I reported this story back in May, so in today's episode, we're switching things up a bit. Audience engagement producer Ash Miller will be interviewing me about this topic. Ash, is going to be helping out with the podcast, so expect to hear more from her in the future. The person who asked this question wanted to be anonymous, but I tracked down a man in South Minneapolis, Roy Vanderwerf, who has been asking questions about these polls ever since one went up in front of his house. Here's a bit of my conversation with Roy, followed by the interview with Ash. All right, Roy, we're standing in front of your house on 46 and Cedar. Now, what are we standing in front of here? Well, that's Verizon's 5G pole that uh, they've installed without my permission and without anybody's permission. And it's probably about 20 to 25 feet tall? Could be 30. What were the prime questions that you wanted answered after learning more about 5G technology? The primary question is, is why? why? Why put this in the neighborhoods? It only goes a quarter mile, so they got to have pole after pole after pole. Why? Their ultimate plan is to try to get people for 75 bucks a month to hook into their tower and use it for home internet. Why do that when U.S. internet comes along with fiber optic technology right to the house, 300 megabytes a second for $50? They chose to come right in front of my window where I I sit and look out. That's my view toward the golf course. Uh, I can see hawks landing in the spruce trees across the street, cardinals, and you know, this gets in the way. So, Ash, what are we talking about? I know what we're talking about today, but you you cue it up for me. Yeah, so my job as an audience producer means that I'm on social media a lot, and I get a lot of reader feedback. And something that I noticed in the last few months is an uptick in people talking about 5G towers. Tell me what I need to know about this. I have no idea what 5G is. I'm glad we're talking about this. When I was researching this story, I kind of felt similarly. Wireless technology science is like a whole world I just don't know any about. And I will credit in particular a guy named Mike Dano, who works at a trade publication named Light Reading, who we quote in the story. So he helped me a bit and many other people along the way helped me. So 5G is the fifth generation of wireless technology. So we had 3G, Mm -hmm. which we all kind of remember. Then we had 4G slash LTE. These are kind of synonymous terms. And that's what we're living in today. Okay. Yeah. That's what I'm familiar with. And each of these technologies kind of brings about different potential things that's hard for us to envision today. So for example, someone was mentioning to me that the idea of food delivery and being able to track your like Lyft driver or Bite Squad driver or whatever on your phone, that kind of live updating and stuff like that, 4G really made that possible. You know, and obviously 4G was faster than 3G if you're going to be watching YouTube movies or what have you. Right, right, right. So 5G is the fifth generation. So 5G is capable of being 10 to 20 times faster 
than 4G. It's not just about downloading movies, although one person said to me, you could be waiting in line at the airport with your kids and download Harry Potter in HD in like 30 seconds, right? And get on an airplane, right? right? But more importantly, it's things like autonomous cars need to communicate in the future, right? If you imagine all these split-second decisions that autonomous cars are going to be making and they need to be communicating with each other or Mm -hmm. improved teleconferencing, that's something big with work from home, Uh, new uses for virtual reality. It's not just about watching a YouTube movie on the bus or something like that. There's a lot of other sort of elements to it. Yeah. So it doesn't seem like 5G is really that prevalent yet. Right. Am I getting that right? Yeah. So one professor I spoke with at the U said that he expects in about four to five years that 5G will be very common technology. There are some phones now that can take advantage of it, but like I have an iPhone 11 and it doesn't have this capability right now. So I think the iPhone 12 was the first one. So we're still on the cutting edge of that, which is Mm -hmm. interesting because we're all getting bombarded with ads now from these companies saying like, we have the best 5G network. No, we have the best 5G network, which is kind of strange because I don't even think people quite understand yet what 5G means. The thing I should also note about 5G, and this becomes integral to this story, with each one of these technologies, the antennas have been getting closer to the end users. So with 3G, we're thinking about big macro towers. Like you see them on the freeway. There's one in New York I know of. It looks like a tree. They've added branches on it and stuff. That's what we're more familiar with. Right. Then with 4G, because you have to be a little closer, then we're talking about school buildings, water towers, and water towers could also be the macro ones too, the big ones. Basically, things that are a little bit closer to person level. Mm -hmm. And then with 5G, now the companies actually have an option of choosing sort of how they want to do this. There's a spectrum of different frequencies that they can use. If you go with a lower band, it will travel longer distances and be slower. Mm-hmm. which has its applications. If you can imagine like in a rural area or something like that, there would be reasons to do that. At a high band, it doesn't travel very far at all, but it's super, 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 super fast. So what people are noticing on their street, and my street nearby has one of these, are these poles. There's 700 poles in Minneapolis which have antennas on wow. them, which are new and they're owned by Verizon because Verizon is going about this strategy where they're putting high band antennas in neighborhoods with the like fastest possible speeds. Okay. And that could basically replace a home internet is one of the things that they're sort of marketing it. They're calling it their 5G ultra wide band. Every one of the companies has a different term for these things. And so it can get a little complicated. Within the Twin Cities, there are different ways of deploying 5G and some of it is very noticeable. But with mid band, which is also very common, you could add on an antenna in an existing location in some cases with the mid band. So you wouldn't necessarily need new towers everywhere. Right. So you kind of mentioned this, that these kind of popped up kind of relatively recently. And then Roy mentioned his question that he also noticed these popping up kind of out of nowhere without, you know, anyone in the neighborhood knowing that much about it. How does something like this kind of just happen? 700 poles in Minneapolis. That's crazy. And that just overnight? I know not overnight, but you know what I mean. Oh, it was pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, it's not overnight. It was like, you know, maybe like a year and a half or so or two years. I think what was interesting 
interesting about this to me is that we're in this era right now where in local government in particular, you hear a lot about public engagement. In parts of Minneapolis, when there's a big renovation going on, as a neighbor, you're going to get like a notice and they might tell you where the porta potties are going to be. And like, Mm -hmm. you're going to get all this information because people have complained that they don't know enough when something's happening in their neighborhood. New development going up, you're going to get something like there's also all these examples. So Minnesota was one of more than two dozen states that passed laws basically streamlining the regulation for what are known as small cell sites. Because with 5G, because you need them so close to things, these are going to be little poles with an antenna on it. It's not a huge macro tower, so they call it a small cell site. Okay. And so we have rules that basically preempt most local government decisions about where those are going to go. It's not like someone proposes putting one up on this block and then the neighborhood can come out and say, well, we oppose this. We don't want it here. Take it away. With a development project, that's what happens. And it's not always successful, but there's a public hearing and there's a big debate about it. And then we have a decision. That hasn't been happening. Mm -hmm. And the FCC actually issued an order which basically did something similar to the Minnesota law. So even states that didn't pass their own laws now have these kind of streamlined rules that came from the FCC. It puts on deadlines for cities to make decisions and also sort of limits where they can say no to things and things like that. Basically, you had the providers on the Mm -hmm. one side saying, we really want this. And then you have the League of Minnesota Cities, which represents cities in Minnesota, as the name implies. They were really kind of like on the other side, trying to protect local control and the power of local government. And the legislator who oversaw a lot of this negotiation, Marianne O'Neill, she was kind of saying to me, look, we built protections into the law for single family neighborhoods. I was like, oh, interesting. Well, why didn't, you know, why didn't that stop at different things from happening in Minneapolis? Well, it turns out that Minneapolis didn't take advantage of some aspects of that because single family zoning was being eliminated in the city's comprehensive plan, which is a whole other right, discussion. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. The city kind of effectively said that you can build triplexes in single family neighborhoods, therefore making them not technically single family neighborhoods. So the protections in the law for single family zones were going to be moot, essentially, in mm-hmm. Minneapolis. So there was sort of this couple of events that happened to make it a lot easier for Verizon to deploy these poles in okay. Minneapolis. These poles are just kind of coming out of nowhere. They're building them just ground up. So it's sort of going differently by different providers. So Verizon okay. is most obvious to us right now, at least in Minneapolis, because they are deploying this high band technology, which requires a lot of antennas, right? Okay. Like they need to be really densely spaced with each other. I don't mean to just call out Minneapolis, except at least when I wrote this story, that was really where the bulk of them were. Bloomington mm-hmm. and St. Paul had a couple, but nothing quite on the scale of Minneapolis. The other providers are also rolling out their 5G in the Twin Cities, but it's less noticeable because they are not quite deploying the same sort of high band strategy of that top, top, top speed in all the residential areas. Mm-hmm. They are doing some of that around like stadiums, for example. It's also a high capacity band. If you're going to do high bandwidth, you can get more people, faster speeds, but low distance. So if you're next to a stadium, that'd be a good place, right? A lot of right. density there. But a lot of times they're able to swap out antennas that are on existing infrastructure, not all the time. But so there's 5G upgrades that are happening that would not necessarily be obvious because they are happening on, you know, existing infrastructure. And then downtown, pretty much everything is on like a streetlight pole. So there's sort of another process where you quote unquote co-locate. Co-locate. And that's basically the providers renting space. Part of these bills that the legislature 
legislature and the FCC sort of cap how much cities can charge for that space. Mm -hmm. And tomorrow, if AT&T and T-Mobile wanted to do the similar high band thing, they'd probably put their own poles out, theoretically, or they could rent some locations. But nothing is stopping them from creating their own dense network of poles. So if we have 700 Verizon poles in Minneapolis, this is like a theoretical here, but you could imagine 700 T-Mobile, 700 AT&T. Is that happening? No, not Mm -hmm. right now. But it's possible. Yeah. So I guess my question is the same as Roy's question, which is, is it worth it? He kind of thinks that it might not be worth all this effort. So is it? Are we going to actually use 5G? I think that someone will have a use for it, right? It's a question of whether it is as ubiquitous as they're banking on. And so what Roy called out and what applies to me also is that he has USI Fiber that goes to his house. It's a local company that offers Mm -hmm. competitive pricing and pretty good speeds for internet service. And so he's satisfied with his USI, right? And it's working pretty well for him. He got a mailer in the mail after the antenna went up advertising for 5G home internet. So they're making a play to see if he'll switch over. For him, doesn't make sense. He doesn't Mm -hmm. really see the point in doing that. He's happy with his USI. Reading the comments on this story, some people were like, oh, I'm so happy that there's a 5G tower. I can take advantage of that. And I know that not everyone has USI fiber going to their home. So there are people for whom this will be like a big jump potentially. And so it's kind of like a mixed bag. It just kind of depends on what your situation is now. You win some, you lose some. Yeah. The motto of city government. So I feel like a lot of people, myself included, didn't really hear about 5G or at least didn't hear it a lot until people started complaining about it. So I feel like I saw the backlash about 5G before I saw the actual rollout of the 5G towers. And one of the complaints that I see most often is about the safety involved in the radiation. So did your story kind of go into that? I knew that if I didn't mention that, I was going to get uh, <laughs> criticizes like sort of skipping over the issue. Yes. The story was definitely not meant to be mostly about that because I feel like a lot of the coverage around 5G, as you're alluding to, has been on that topic. But let's sort of get into that. So first of all, it's a it's a logical thing for people to be talking about since we know these antennas are getting closer to mm-hmm. us and where we live, right? They have moved from being just the big macro tower to being all over a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. That's like a big change. So that's the kind of thing that would raise questions. And people have concerns about radiation and cancer risks. The American Cancer Society has like a whole web page on this because you can imagine they probably get a lot of questions about it. Yeah. And their position is that basically, quote, there isn't a lot of evidence, unquote, to support the idea that cell towers are a health risk, but they also feel like more research needs to be done on this issue. Maybe that's as a cop out mm-hmm. <laughs> answer, mm-hmm. but essentially there's nothing jumping out in the research now, but there probably isn't enough research on this topic. It's kind of not settled, but I also think that people who sort of describe this as being like settled science, that it's dangerous. It doesn't seem like experts like the American Cancer Society are quite there yet. Mm-hmm. I think they would like to see more research done on it. All right. Well, thank you for giving me a very brief kind of overview of this issue. I feel like now I can go out and talk to our social media followers with a little bit more authority than I have been. Great. Well, Ash, thanks so much for interviewing me Yes, on the I, Curious Minnesota podcast. Yes. I'm a journalist to the core, so I love interviewing people who know more than me. So perfect. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. That's it for today's show. Our next episode will be about another story I worked on recently involving a giant hidden wall that has protected St. Anthony Falls in downtown Minneapolis for more than 140 years. I got really fascinated with the engineering and local history involved in this complex story. So be sure to tune in for that interview with John 
John Anfinson. And be sure to check out some of our latest Curious Minnesota articles at StarTribune.com slash Curious. We publish them online every Friday morning and in print on Sundays. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback about this show or any questions you'd like us to tackle at Curious Minnesota. Just send us an email at Curious at StarTribune.com. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our show is recorded at the Star Tribune's headquarters in beautiful downtown Minneapolis. And our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious.